good evening to each of you. It's again a blessed privilege to be gathered together with God's people. I would say thank you for your your hospitality and uh, fellowship that we've experienced here the last few services. The blessing of brotherhood. Do we value it for what it really is? God has created the church. As we looked at this morning, and there's so many blessings that come from a body that works together and worships together. So we think about the, the message this evening, worship in personal life. What we worship will define us and have greater consequences than anything else about us. To put in a word, if you want to think of this word, as we go through the message, the word purging. We have priority last evening, participation this morning, and purging this evening. And we'll see how that applies as we go through the message. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, we don't know how many temptations there were. I think there were a lot more, but at the end, we have recorded three specific temptations. What was the last of the three? Satan said, fall down and worship me and I will give you all the glory of the kingdoms of the world. Worship me. That was some personal worship that Jesus had to decide what he was going to do. Worship, I've said a number of times, is a posture of the heart. I like to continue to keep that in our minds. And as a child of God, as a young Christian, I, I struggled with a God consciousness. Just I desired to be aware of God's presence then it could help me to live like I should and to worship like I should, to praise God. And I just remember that, that struggle of, of sometimes it felt like I wasn't thinking of God like I wanted to. And that has grown over the years. There's a lot more a sense of the presence of God. I need to grow in that in a desire for that. But I think that that comes from and aids in our worship when we just are conscious of the presence of God. But firstly, I would like to look at some verses in Revelation chapter 4. We worship God because of who He is and who I am. Years ago, I took a class at Maranatha Bible School when it was on prayer, and the three reasons for prayer were because of who God is, who Satan is, and who I am. And I don't think we need to to think about Satan when we think about worship, because that happens whether we whether Satan's around or not. Prayer and the enemy drives us to pray. But here, Revelation four verses ten and eleven. It says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. That's who God is. Everything we 
see, everything we are, everything we know comes from God. God. The highest. The high God. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. That's who we are. God created us to worship Him. To bring Him pleasure. We worship God. We worship because of who God is and because of who we are. As I thought about this thing of the heart, I believe that that's the seat of, of who we are. And scripture talks about the heart often. And I'd just like to point out a few, a few passages as we think about the heart and the posture of the heart and setting the heart. And Psalm 62 says in the last part of the verse, if riches increase, set not your heart upon them. So we can set our heart on things, on money, possessions. And has that not become a form of worship? We set our heart there. Jesus said in Luke 12, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what you really value in life is what you're going to tend to set your heart toward and what you're going to worship in one degree or another. It's a beautiful passage in Psalm 78. And it would have fit last evening as well, verses 5 through 8. says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known unto their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We have a responsibility and a privilege to pass on faith, to pass on a declaration of who God is and how He has worked and how He is working in our lives so that our children, our children's children, and our children's children's children might continue to set their heart aright. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had committed himself to fasting and prayer and seeking the face of God. And the angel came and said unto him, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, Thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I believe that time was a time of, of worship and seeking in Daniel's life. It says here, you set your heart and you chastened yourself. That's, that's some sacrifice going on there. And God noticed that and heard that. Setting our heart. As we think about worship, we become like what we worship. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, 
are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. To come to God with an open face, we have to have a pure heart. But as we come and we desire to see God for who He is, and we worship Him, He is able to reflect from our lives. The opposite is also true. In Psalm 115, verses 1 to 8, is not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. This is a psalm that, that has a lot of worship and in contrast, worship of God with worship of idols. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. So it sounds like here the people are saying, where's your God? Here's, here's my God. Where's your God? You don't have a God. Said, no, our God is in the heaven. He doesn't sit here as a dumb idol that can't walk or talk or think or speak or hear. Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And it says, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. And I don't know what all that entails, but we know that there's a lot of of deadness and a lot of of emptiness in an empty idol. Isaiah 44 is a passage that brings out another aspect. Thinking of, of idolatry, idols specifically, I'd like to go ahead and read that. Isaiah 44, 9 through 20. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen there of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashion it with hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. The carpenter stretcheth out his rule and marketh it out with his line. He fitteth it with his plane, with planes and he marketh it out with a compass and maketh it after the figure of a man. According to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. There's a lot of work that was going into fashioning something to bow down to. He heweth him down cedars. He taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. There shall it be for a man to burn 
for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh a graven image and boweth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire, and with part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god, even a graven image. He falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Ye also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feedeth on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? We are drawn to worship temporal things. We become deceived. We can't clearly see our error. And, and that this whole thing, to us, it's like, really? I mean, who would think that you would take a log and with part of it you would cook your food and part of it you would carve it so you can bow down to it? But it says here, a deceived heart hath turned him aside. And as I mentioned this morning, the importance of the body in helping us when we can't see ourselves like God sees us. And that's why, partly why the body of Christ is so valuable. It helps us to see if we are doing something just as foolish. And we can do things just as foolish. As I studied the New Testament and thinking about worship and the life of a Christian, there's actually not a lot of reference to personal worship. I think there's 40-some places that the word worship is used and, and they're, they're not all the same Greek word. And 14 of them at least are in Revelation speaking of things that are future. A lot of them reference Old Testament happenings. Why is this? Let's turn to Romans 12. Verses 1 and through 3. <clears throat> I'd like to point out that the word translated reasonable service here at the end of verse 1 in most other translation is worship. Service and worship. Think again, sacrifice and worship go together. Service and worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
So here, worship is defined as a complete life that is given to the service of God. Holding nothing back. And it uses two terms here, or in verse 2 it says, be not conformed, but be transformed. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, it's kind of a parallel passage. Verses 13 to 19. 1 Peter 1, 13. Wherefore, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as He with His called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Here it's saying that the worship of our God, the high God, is what drives us to holiness. Do we obey because of the wrath of God or because we love God? Not fashioning yourselves is a lot, it's the same idea as be not conformed. Don't fashion yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And here it says, so be ye holy or set apart like God, because he says, be holy for I am holy. And there's a, a doctrine that has a name. We call it separation and nonconformity. And some people don't like those words. They sound kind of... Uh, constraining and restrictive. But if that causes you to stumble, go back to Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God's plan in redemption is to bring people to look like Christ, to be little Christ's. And he would be the firstborn and have many brothers that would be called Christians. So you can call it a doctrine of conformity. What are you conforming to? I believe that the shift in emphasis from the worship of the Old Testament to the New Testament is that of committed love, which equals obedience. We worship, we give worth to what we ultimately love. Now, I love my wife, but I don't worship her. But if I love myself, I start worshiping myself. 
Jesus said in John 14, let's turn there. There's a number of verses I'd like to look at. In John 14. Verse 15. This is a long discourse that Jesus is is involved in here in teaching his disciples in a very intimate way before his crucifixion. And in verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then down to verse 21. Says he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. He doesn't say worship here. He doesn't say if you're going to worship God. If you're going to love God. That is ultimate worship. And you will do what we ask you to. John, the writer here that that recalled these words under the inspiration of the Spirit, also in 1 John chapter 5, writes these words. Verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So loving God, that's what's going to define personal worship. And as Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, Imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Walk like you love God as Christ demonstrated his love and sacrificed his life. You be willing, if you love God, to sacrifice your life for him. I know I'm going to a lot of scriptures, but I like to see what the scripture says in Colossians 3. Thinking about loving God and keeping his commandments. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection. That is a heart posture. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify. Sacrifice put to death. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Where is your affection? What do you have time for? Do you have time for God? Do you have time? How can we know what God wants for us if we don't take the time to seek His face, to read His Word? Now, that's probably the biggest shortcoming in my life as I look over the last 20 years of my Christian walk has been taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and worship to ponder truth to pray and maybe that's why other things so often can come that start taking my allegiance I get bogged down with work one thing that I, I've thought of and I it came to me this morning again I'm sure when just thinking about life and and how we like to have, well, I think it might have even been in this covetousness, which is idolatry, and thinking about things. And we as, as men, maybe especially if we are heads of a home, we like to have things certain. I like to know that the rents will get paid next month. There's plenty of food in the freezer. We know we've got things taken care of. But you know, that can be a pursuit. That, that can take my heart away from just a trust. A, a faith in God and worship. Do you have time for God? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you take the name of Jesus with you? Do you think of the person of Jesus in everything you do? How do you spend your leisure time? 
Do you have that? What takes your interest? I don't have a public job per se, but I do get out in public. I sell things at the farmer's market. And it's a, it's a struggle to know how to, whether to continue. The world puts forward smut and perversion constantly. And I can't live in a cave. But I have to have my heart grounded in a love for God. And I guess the, the thrust of what I want to, to present, to bring to you, is that here in Colossians, set your affection. And when you set your affection, you have to mortify the flesh. And little things that, that are out there are everywhere. And just the realizing how much our culture and society feeds and feeds upon materialism and lust, things and immorality. If we're going to worship God, we have to have a pure heart. But also, because we love God and we worship Him, that is what drives us or compels us or leads us to a desire, a pure heart, and a pure life. Because I don't think that we're going to be victorious in overcoming the temptations of the flesh if we don't have a proper perspective of who God is. If we don't see God for who He is, His person will not grip our heart to make us willing to choose what we know is right. In 1 John 2, very familiar verses, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That could be said the same as he that loves God will abide forever, because if you love God, you will do His will. What we worship will define us and have greater consequences than anything else about us. I think most of you here would desire to be faithful to your Redeemer, to your Savior. What are you willing to sacrifice? Is your life on the altar, as it were? Have you presented your body a living sacrifice, holy, that's sanctified and clean and set apart, acceptable unto God? That's just your reasonable service. Are you committed to that? Let's stand together for a prayer.